2: Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski.
3: Out of the gates, ready to go. OutKick 360 is back. Wednesday edition is here with Chad Withrow and Paul Kuharski. I'm Jonathan Hutton from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Big show planned today. It's always a big show. Mike Pereira, though, joins us to make it bigger. Uh, That will be at uh, 20 minutes, 20 minutes from now. Uh, Looking forward to speaking with the Fox Sports Rules analyst for the NFL and also for the USFL. He is the lead of all officiating, the director of officials, uh, Mike Pereira on today's show in 20 minutes as the league kicks off this Saturday, 7.30 Eastern. Birmingham and Jersey on a simulcast on Fox and NBC. Brock Huard will be on the sidelines for that game. He'll join us in the third hour today. And uh, in between, SEC football discussion. At least one big thing on every SEC team
1: during spring practice. Gentlemen, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Excited about today's show. You're right, Hutton, they're all big. But I feel like today's is even bigger than most.
2: Mike Pereira is an excellent Guest. Um, very, very uh, informative and entertaining at the same time. The best combination you can get. So we always look forward to talking with him and uh, we'll come away informed for sure.
3: The, you know, the, in a way, the NFL has gone away from that role being front and center because you had Pereira and then you had Dean Blandino who went on to the media. And since then, I don't think the average fan would recognize any name you throw out.
2: Well, Riveron, I think is He's not. He's retired, though, right? Yeah, and he didn't have a, a personality, to be a front-facing. That's my point. Guy. they yeah. hired
3: someone that wouldn't do that and leave them.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: They they protected against being left at the altar again.
2: <laughs> well, I don't. I don't, don't put someone out uh, there then yeah, it won't happen. I think that might have been a happy coincidence too. It just uh, their their next best guy didn't didn't have a good personality. That, I, I'm going to ask Pereira. This uh, NFL has another. I don't know, it's somewhere between 8 and 12, I think, guys out, Refere- uh, not just not just refs, but officials. They're cycling out of officials, it seems to me, at an alarmingly fast rate. Um, so the consistency that we seek at, at the NFL level, we're never going to get at the, at the rate people are cycling out. They had an unfortunate passing away of, of one and other people retiring and leaving. Um, it's a problem.
3: They also are implementing some rules that will be very similar to the NFL and then some rules that will be extremely different and that other leagues will be paying attention to. And I I think when I say leagues, I'm talking just big time sports platforms in general on how the game will be shot drone wise and all this. But from a rule standpoint, uh, Pereira had a big hand in talking through some of the things that the league was trying to implement. He'll describe those to us, especially when it comes to measuring first downs two- and three-point conversions. You can now throw two forward passes behind the line of scrimmage legally in the USFL. We'll get into that and how every every play, not just scoring plays or turnovers, every play will be reviewed from their main office. Much easier to do when you're playing one game at a time. Um, but when you have billions like the NFL does, I wonder if they eventually get to some certainty with that where they have more efficiency with how the game is called and – and officiated. Uh, that's coming up in twenty minutes. Looking forward to it. Uh, headlines today: Derek Carr contract extension. Um, it's been fast work for the new general manager uh, Dave Ziegler for the Las Vegas Raiders. If not for him, Carr's going into a lame duck year, having to prove himself. At least that's my assumption. And I think the the Mayock regime, the Gruden regime, the Basaccio re- re- regime would have been okay with that. With this new deal, he gets some money up front gets $40 million over three years uh, each year, uh, but more importantly has a, a no-trade clause. So if things are going downhill middle of this season for whatever reason and they want to part ways, he's, he's got the same authority over a trade that we just saw with Deshaun Watson.
2: He got himself power here. $3.9 million raise, I think Florio reported this year. 40.4 next year, but it's guaranteed only for injury until the, you know, that trigger point early next season. So if this year is an absolute bomb, they can get out. Mm-hmm. Uh, no trade clause be damned because they can cut them. So there's flexibility for them. If the trial year is a, is a disaster, they can get out. I don't think anybody's expecting it to be a disaster. No, but
3: either way, he controls his own destiny. He has a no trade clause, and if he's released, he gets to pick where he wants right. to go.
2: yeah, Exactly. And so uh, he's in, in pretty good standing. I'm expecting him uh, to 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 have a good year. I like the situation for him, but I did read a stat today about him that was uh, more alarming than I expected. He, um, no playoff game win, only quarterback in the NFL to finish in the top five in both passing yards and completion percentage last year. That's an awfully good number for a guy that hasn't, um, yet had a good team around him, good enough team, though he did have a chance to win a playoff game this last year. Uh, his first playoff start. Yeah. and, and, and Against didn't, Cincinnati. Didn't do it. Uh, yeah, against a team that got very now hot. The, the so year, a lot the of pressure they were really good, this
3: year. Or not really good, but, but the, the year they were going to playoffs, he broke his leg the same day Mariota did in Jacksonville. Yeah. Really um, down. And that was a, a strong year for Carr where you could argue if they make the playoffs there, maybe he has a chance to win the game. Instead – that was the playoffs where you had the two backups playing Matt in Houston. Matt McGloin Terrible.
1: versus who was the Houston backup? It was Matt McGloin for Probably Raiders. I think like it was I think it, I think it was Brandon Weed. That was
2: all-time worst playoff game yep. ever that ESPN played to a ton of money for. Big year for Derek Carr, obviously, and uh in a tough, tough division.
3: Well, and they've they've bolstered their roster <laughs> uh, just like every team in that division has, but keep in mind he's got Devontae Adams there now. They have Chandler coming in uh, as a pass rusher. Crosby gets a mega extension. Um as part of a trade, they they brought in Rock Yasine from Indianapolis. I'm not saying that's a huge yeah, get, might be but bad. that's but I mean that they've been able to add some pieces where they go into a draft not needing a ton. And the the carb contract gives the team flexibility as well. You know, that... Carr pointed this out whenever he was asked about the uh, and commented on the three-year extension that was announced today. He said, look, the last time I signed my deal, which is a $100 million-plus deal, they lost out on some key players. Khalil Mack, he mentioned. He's like, my best friend Khalil Mack left because I <laughs> I got paid too much. And uh, ultimately, you can't spread the the money around perfectly on any team. But with this deal, you now can. Uh, and you can get out of it too, if if you so choose. It's it's a I think it's good for both. It gives some power to Carr and some flexibility to the to the Vegas Raiders.
2: I'm and excited now we to, get watch. to see what Josh McDaniels uh, can yeah. do in the second go round, where he's a reformed guy. From, it's going to be a fun team.
3: I I don't year. know if there's a current quarterback that has improved more based on the off season acquisitions than Derek Carr, and I'm counting McDaniels in that. He gets McDaniels and he gets Devontae Adams. Um, I can't think of it, you know, Russell Wilson is helping his team. But again, I'm, I'm yeah, thinking Tua's of the, the, con- the incumbent quarterback improvement wise. It's hard to argue that anybody's better than Carr right now in the league.
2: The, uh, Vegas and Miami, the two teams that, that you would say, I think Carr has more tools to work with though than Tua. So you're bringing a better yeah. skill set into the fight than Tua is. Uh, you know, if Tua is out this year and Carr is out this year, advantage Carr. Carr's got a better arm. Uh, I, I think he's probably tougher uh, in terms of taking the, the daily pounding or the weekly pounding that you take as an NFL quarterback, and he's got a lot more experience. He's a lot further down the path.
3: The, the, the Dolphins have speed. The Raiders have Waller and Adams uh, and, and Carr's arm as well. Uh, Baker Mayfield is going to end up somewhere. It's not going to be Cleveland. But we still don't know the destination. We may not know until draft weekend, which is just around the corner, two weeks from tomorrow. That would be the time to move him. Cleveland's going to have to pay part of this contract, though. And, you know, before you... I think some are scoffing at the idea that they would pay half. This is the same team that to. paid for a draft pick with Houston. Um, the they, Brock Osweiler, Yeah, true. for $16 million or something. Or uh, well, was Houston or Denver? Um, I can't remember which it ended oh, it up Houston. being. Houston. Houston. Um, yeah, they... They'll pay uh, they to, to get out of a contract.
2: It's funny. Uh, it, I mean, they've got... But, yeah, they have to. It's really odd to see a team with absolutely no hand with a commodity. I mean, he's not a huge commodity. But he's the last guy with all the musical chairs at quarterback, but he's still something, something that could help Carolina, which seems to have no interest, something that could it's, certainly it's, help Seattle. It's very odd to me
3: And they, that- there's no... That we haven't seen the value of a disrespected Baker Mayfield, and he admitted um, on a, a podcast chat. I know you've got that pulled up on your on your uh, browser there. Couchcast. Couchcast. Um, yeah, he was he
1: laid out on a uh, Tony Montana like
3: couch. Very, very. Odd. He had a dog next um, was, to him. I was, that was jealous
2: was of him. Good, yeah. good. Microphones
1: pause up. The dog the whole time looked dead, almost asleep. Your uh, favorite, your to favorite kind of dog. My well, point, I just thought the uh, the symbolism of the dead dog next to him and Baker Mayfield sitting dog there, pound. dog pound being dead, his career right now being dead, uh in Cleveland at least. Yeah, I mean, he said he he feels 100% disrespected uh in this podcast. Uh, but
3: honestly, he should. Yes, of course. They've made these big moves. They they have traded for the uh, the guy and brought in a guaranteed contract on a uh, a guy with 22 uh accusations and a civil lawsuit against him, gave him the best contract we've ever seen from a quarterback in guaranteed money. And Baker, who was told that on the way out the door this past year, after playing through the shoulder injury and bypassing surgery until they knew they were eliminated from the playoffs, said that, yeah, we're, we're happy with Baker. And, I mean, he should feel disrespected, not just by the Browns, but by the league for not trading for him.
2: By the league, I, I, mean, I think as much as To me, me
3: Pete Carroll should want a guy like that should want to not have to go to a, a a rookie, especially in this class, and if nothing else, find a, a quarterback that has uh, some moxie to him, some leadership quality, and a guy that fills pissed off for greatness. I that think, would be Baker Mayfield. I think
2: Seattle's just delusional because you keep hearing reports about how much upside they see in Drew Locke. What have no, they looked at? No, there's no well, that's way. The, that's they, the that's the what they keep saying out. They're posturing. That's fine. But like you're saying, he seems like – Baker Mayfield seems like a perfect fit for Pete Carroll, that side-by-side swagger, uh, and you're starting a new, hey, you're my guy. Let's go show everybody how wrong they are about this team and this roster, and you'd be throwing to Metcalf. And like
3: Paul, am I wrong, Chad, in thinking that the the behind the scenes stories with Wince in the locker room started to, you know, there was a smoldering of it in Philly, right? Yes. You started to hear about that, but you're like, ah, eh, whatever. Like the you know the coach was on the way out, and there was a lot of discourse in the front office, and then it happened in Indy for the team that traded for him. I haven't heard that about Baker Mayfield. No. I don't and think and Baker that's, Mayfield that's the takes weird badly to
2: tough coaching, which is what you hear about Carson Wentz. Yeah. And, uh, and and the other thing, and I know this is a, a lightning rod thing, <clears throat> but the other thing that's come out about Carson Wentz is you know it's one thing if you were anti-vax and and all of that, and you were risking uh, back. It seems like ancient history now when when you would be out for games if you got COVID and all of that. There's word that Co- Carson Wentz was proselytizing and trying to get other guys to join him. And I can understand if you're a franchise that's worried about guys missing games, yeah. you'd say, "Hey, each guy can make his own decision." But if your quarterbacks out there saying, "Hey, come with me," and your team is is in a, you know, going to be in a playoff run where you could lose several guys for a Sunday, the management not being real excited about that, that's another thing that's come out about Carson Wentz. They just it, it, there was so much about him that rubbed them the wrong way in a year. In a year there's, after the guy loved
1: him. And there's really nothing on Baker Mayfield No, to your nothing point. like that. Sometimes you you never know. By the way, that's the name of the, that's podcast, the podcast that podcast. Thank that you, on. Jeff. you never know. I, I tried to search it as you never know, but no, it's no. actually Y A N E V A, You never, never Know, a podcast hosted by Mike. I don't know who Mike is. Um it's I look, I looked at Mike and I'm thinking Boy, we've come a long way from interviews like this being conducted with John Clayton
2: Uh, or someone in a television
1: setting. But this was uh, on the You Never Know podcast, anonymous Mike, that Baker Mayfield talked about the level of disrespect shown by the Browns should
2: still be a commodity with some value. And the fact that the Browns are going to wind up, I would think, paying it's an eighteen million dollar salary. I bet they end up playing paying eight or ten of that. to to unload him and they may come out on the back end like you're saying of a of a of a pick flip where they take worse (laughs) uh they give better to get worse uh, in order to unload some of that salary i wonder if they ever thought about keeping him i mean he's awfully expensive but if they're going to pay that large a chunk keeping him as opposed to having brissette as deshaun watson's backup
3: yeah, I, I mean...
2: Once his shoulder's good, I mean, that wouldn't be a bad guy to have come in and start you five games. He served you well when he's healthy. He plays well in spurts. Um, I, I know they want to turn things over, but
3: yeah, when they, Jacoby
2: Brissett's no great quarterback When they make either.
3: the move, they've made the move.
2: Yeah. To me, this all But they haven't back, yet made the entire I know, this, the, the, that, entire that's the odd move.
1: thing. But this goes back to that question I threw out about... Sometimes you never know. But when you know... Where you are as a franchise, what really is the value in bringing on Baker Mayfield that may get you to seven and ten, or six and eleven, as opposed to three and fourteen over the course of the season? Um, That to me, that's the debate. Baker Mayfield would be a great option either as a backup for a team going for it that you know you've had some injury issues. Your starting quarterback, he's also that bridge guy, great bridge that we've talked about, but. Who wants the bridge guy? Everyone is so the guy desperate. If you don't think Baker Mayfield is the guy, what is the real value in today's NFL of getting a guy for a year or two? Is he not a better bridge than Trubisky or Mariota? My point is, why not just start Davis Mills, if you have him, and act like he's the franchise quarterback, when really you're thinking, we got to go find our guy. Well, I get what
2: you're saying, but teams have gone bridge routes. We've seen Pittsburgh do it. We've seen Atlanta do Washington it. Washington is, is doing he not it. better than those three bridge well, guys. Well, I mean,
3: Atlanta went with what they know, and for all we know, they're going with a guy in the draft. Right. Uh, Pittsburgh. It's highly unlikely Cleveland's trading him within the division.
2: Well, I think at this
1: point, well, my, we probably my point would. to saying this, Paul, is we may be out of bridge teams. That's yeah. where we're sitting right well, now.
2: I think he's a better alternative than some of the bridge teams chose.
1: There, there are I, I would agree but there are plenty
3: of teams that could use a quality backup and that will be yes. hungry oh, well, for one
2: team in this city no no I, I be totally a agree massive but increase, that but could be don't, the spot uh, to, to, if it's
1: not go to Seattle and, and you're the presumed starter it could be backup somewhere. to
2: defend the Titans they don't have 8 million to pay a backup quarterback they they're the second tightest team to the cap or the third tightest team to the cap Right now, and they've made virtually I've, all of their. I've money seen moves. a
3: lot of uh, teams tight to the cap make some moves to make room to bring in guys all off. Well, season. they've
2: done all of those to bring in. They've got a Hooper couple of other, and. They got some others. Woods.
3: Well, they, they they also are probably trying to extend some guys currently with some money. Mike Pereira is about to join us. He is the head of officiating for the USFL. Some fascinating rules that will be on full display as the league kicks off on Saturday. Uh, on Fox and NBC at 7.30 Eastern. Mike Pereira joins us next on Outkick 360.
2: You ready? Showtime. On May
3: 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy.
2: What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy.
1: Trying to make out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall
3: Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read did PG-13. It's going to be a fun weekend in Birmingham and on Fox as the USFL kicks off Saturday night. Eastern, Birmingham takes on New Jersey. The new USFL this Saturday, 10-week season leading up to the playoffs and championship game in Canton. Outkick 360 rolls on, and Outkick will be in Birmingham this Saturday. Chad Withrow and Jill Savage uh, have Outkick the tailgate for you live in Birmingham. That's going to be fun.
1: 3.30 to 5.30 Central Time. We'll be on with that show. Looking forward to it.
3: One of the the many guests we'll have on from the league and friend of the show is Mike Pereira of Fox Sports. He's the head of officiating for the USFL. Mike, great to have you back on the show. Hope you're doing well.
0: I am doing incredibly well, and it's good to be with you guys. And as it gets closer, I I think that I'm getting more and more excited for the USFL because, you know, I am the replay person, so they're going to come to me a lot. And with Joe and Troy now leaving and going to ESPN – I'm going to get more airtime on Fox and (laughs) in the USFL. So it could be a big year for me. So are you,
3: uh, anytime a play is under review, are we going to be able to hear your conversation?
0: You can hear my conversation. I'll talk to both the announcers actually, and um, and actually you'll hear me talking to the referee. Um, We're standards a little different. Um, It's going to be like the beginning of 1999 where you don't, excuse me, change anything on the field unless it's really clear and obvious. Um, And we're going to try to expedite it and have it move through quickly. But, you know, we're we're really, we really want transparency in in our game, period. You're going to hear so much in the way of player conversation and coach conversation and conversation also from the replay center. So I really think the fan is going to, to really enjoy the experience. Not that it hasn't been done somewhat in in the previous spring league uh, ventures that have, that have come about, but I think it'll be a new level here because uh, one person, me in the replay center, which is actually going to be in Los Angeles. And, you know, I'll also be talking to the officials who are college officials. They're in the NFL development program, but I'll be working with them to make sure that they enforce penalties right, that they handle the clock properly. So um, I I did kind of say I'm like the replay God in the (laughs) USFL this year. That sounds terrible, but I almost kind of feel that way to tell you the truth.
3: He's the James Earl Jones of the league. Yeah,
1: and that's kind of my question is where will the voice of officiating God be coming from, originating from in this? Is this a one-man operation? I know you're going to be in L.A., uh, are you at Fox Sports? Are there people around you? Or is it just you and a laptop pulled <laughs> up somewhere, Mike?
0: No, I, I'm like when the season ended, you know, my setup at Fox is really is really neat. And it's kind of a pretty good size room, and it has all these monitors. But Fox is redoing their whole studio now, the whole setup, where the pregame show is and where I am. So they said, we're going to put you in this little room. And I went, really? Little room? They showed me the room. And it did look little. And then they called me last week and said, could you come down and see what we've done with your replay center? And um, I came in and I was blown away. I mean, they really did an unbelievable job. I have three Hawkeye systems. um, I have all kinds of things. And I have all kinds of people too. I mean, the same people that I basically had with me, that I have with me when I'm in a Fox game, they're with me here, so I can get input from my producer. I can get input from a guy who's currently an NFL replay official who'll be sitting next to me, and he'll be giving me some input. Um, but ultimately, uh, the decision will fall with me on what we're going to do. So it's it's collaborative to a degree, um, but I think it's it's really going to be exciting. You know, I've been going for I'm headed into my thirteenth year at Fox. And so for 12 years, I've been issuing the criticisms of the person that are making the decisions in replay. And now I'm on the other end. I guess I have to criticize myself um, or I, I know I'll probably get criticized in social media, but I, I am, you know, we had a exhibition game um, on, thir- on Friday night and, um, and it was like full rehearsal. And I have to admit for all the stuff that is going on, it was really, it was really kind of fun. Are
3: most of your officials from the Power Five conferences? How, how did you compose the officiating crew that will be in Birmingham?
0: I mean, it was quite easy. When uh, Eric Shanks passed me with this responsibility to run officiating, the first thing I did was call the NFL and said, I want to take officials from your officiating development program, the ODP program. So they sent me the list of the officials. There's about 50 officials on that list. And um, we sorted through them. My two assistants sorted through them and we picked 35 um, that we reached out to thinking it's spring football, thinking that probably of the 35 that, you know, 28 of them would accept and then we'd have to move on to others on the list. But all 35 accepted on the very first call. They, They wanted reps. They know that this will help them getting into the NFL. As a matter of fact, I am not going to be surprised if no more than two or three weeks into the season, we make the announcement that seven officials that we have working in the USFL have just been taken into the NFL and they'll continue working with us. Um, but they will, they will go into the NFL. 33 of the 35 are out of power five conferences. There's one Sat uh, one SWAC official, and then there is, uh, um, also, one official who was a former NFL official and a very diverse group. I mean, we we wanted diversity, so we do have sixteen of the thirty five that are minorities. We have uh, four women um, on the on the cruise. and and uh, I'll tell you, I, I, I've been involved with spring leagues before. I just don't think I've ever seen a better group that is actually more prepared that the NFL used their coaches and their supervisors to actually train them. I don't think there's been a, a, a group that's any better than what we have uh, on display starting on Saturday. Mike Pereira, our guest on kick 360.
2: NFL's got 11 openings. Is that unusual churn in the NFL officiating ranks? And um, is it part of the NFL's consistency problem that they've got turnover at that? Uh, rate, or is that just part of the deal?
0: You know, Paul, I, I think that's a really legitimate question. I mean, you know, the, the question that I was raised all the time get rid of those old guys. Those old guys don't have, get somebody that can, you know, run a 4440. And, you know, and I used to say, give me the 64 year old guy who has good judgment and, uh, and and I'll live with that guy, even if maybe he's a step slower. I mean, come on, the three of you could get out there and run 100 yards, right? Maybe I could, <laughs> but the three of you I'm sure could. But it's, it's, anytime you bring in a substantial new group like that, it takes time. Look, there's a reason why, that official can, an official cannot work a Super Bowl until he has five complete years under his belt. It's a transition. I don't care if it's power five conferences the speed coming out of college football when you get into the NFL, it's an amazing difference. Everybody's different. The interior are faster. The interior linemen are faster. Um, and it, and it's also a more physical game, so it takes time. So, Paul, I, I think it does suffer in the short term. Your pe- I really do. Your people short-
2: making transitions now to your league coming from college, how easy is it to, to flip the switch to the rules that are different large or small, or how much is that maybe the big thing that you harp on while, while they're training to, to not fall back into something that, that maybe is ingrained in the 10, 12, however many years they have of officiating college games?
0: Yeah, I, I mean, it's difficult, not as difficult as one would think. I mean, and even the benefit of when you're in the ODP program, the NFL ODP program, you're taking the rules test you're going to their annual clinic. On your off weekends in college, if there's a game in your area, you go to those too. So they've been around them, but that doesn't mean they're gonna master them. An example example happened in our Friday night rehearsal game where there was an injury inside of two minutes and that most of the time creates a charge timeout. And so they were gonna charge a timeout to the team and I, I hopped on, I have constant communication with them. And I said, this is not a charge timeout for that team because it followed a change of possession. So there, there is no injury timeout becoming the charge. There's, there's, there's little parts. Of They'll know the main things, but there are some enforcement things that will be tough for them to grasp. But that's why, I mean, that's why I'm there. That's why Ron Baines, a former uh, Super Bowl official who lives in Birmingham, will be on site there so we can guide them if uh, those situations arise. But there will be, there will be uh, I'm sure there will be situations that come up, it always happens in, you know, maybe once a game or maybe once every other game where some enforcement is so confusing that not only will they not know what to do, but maybe all get confused on what to do. But on the other hand, if it's that confusing, you won't know the difference. So we'll just, we'll just set up the ball and everybody'll think, like, oh yeah, they made the right decision in the rule, um, you know. But it, it will be, it will be rare. I just think that you know the setup of the league. We wanted to do it to some degree, like we did with the old NFL Europe. So crews are coming into Birmingham and they're working two games a weekend. They're not working one game and going home. They're going to work two games, and so the NFL supervisors who will be on site watching these will be able to have conversations with them after games, before games, at dinner. You kind of get to know the individual, um, you know, along personally, along with his work on the field. And that's really cool. And that's why USFL, I mean, the, uh, I'm sorry, the uh, NFL Europe program was so valuable because you got to spend time with the officials and learn a little bit more about the officials themselves. There was one guy who had all the great accolades and we took over there, we took him over to NFL Europe. I spent three days with him and said, he ain't getting in. I mean, he had he had the personality traits that were not conducive to teamwork. He was late for meetings. And so even though he was a good official on the field, he would end up being a detriment. So we dumped them based on spending some time around him. And that's what the NFL is gonna be able to do uh, with us also. It's a collaborative effort. I mean, we're using some rule changes like on punt plays that the NFL's competition committee asked us to experiment with to see if they could take the gunners and protect them a little bit more and also keep them from running out of bounds so we don't have these senseless penalties that we seem to have on so many punt plays. So we, we, we've got certain rules that are tweaked. Um, that I think are kind of fun, like the shootout in overtime, which which we had on that Friday night game. And it was really interesting and a lot of little rule changes like that that I think fans are going to enjoy. Mike Pereira with us. Mike, I don't know if the NFL asked about
3: the way you'll measure first downs and line to gain, uh, but... we. We've been discussing it on the show. I know they're going to be paying attention to it, just like all the fans will, uh, where you have a microchip in the football and a laser that will determine first downs, not a chain gang. How accurate is this technology, and how long has it been available for leagues? The leagues just haven't used it.
0: Well, I I mean, how accurate is it? It's 100% accurate based on where the ball is after the officials put it down. I mean, it's not that spot in itself may not be accurate. I mean, trying to get the accurate spot on the field is very difficult, but when it comes to measuring, once the ball is placed down, yep, 100% accurate. Um, but you still have that human element of where they actually spot the ball. Um, we saw it in, in action on Friday. Um, they needed to do some upgrades into how it presents on the scoreboard and even on the television screen itself. But, um, you know i i think it's just a change i mean honestly i am a traditionalist and i'm going to miss those older guys you know waddling out on the field with the chains you know to me that was like that was like pure suspense seeing yeah. these guys go out on the field and hand that chain to the umpire and the umpire grabs it and then he stretches it out and then he gently puts it down and sees if it's a Gene Steratore business card short <laughs> um, or, or whatever, but it's going to the way it kind of like tennis with the system that they have, the Hawkeye system that they have with tennis. It's um it's animation, but it's accurate animation. And believe it or not, it's, it's uh it's, it, it's, Really, I mean, you you kind of agree with it when you see it. I, I think it doesn't stop there. Listen, we're talking about having the ability to have a glow ball, and we hope that it's ready by uh, week one, a glow ball, so the plays at the end zone when it goes into a pile and you can't see mm. whether the ball broke the plane of the goal line, the glow ball has the potential to shine through and glow through players so you can see it. Now, the problem is you can't see the – the knee of the player. And so you're never necessarily sure, but if he is upright and, and gets to the goal line, and then that might help there. And of course, how about lasers up the outside of the goal posts? So, you know, you cannot in replay measure whether a kick is good or not, if it goes over the top of the upright, but if you shine lasers up the outside edge and the ball going over the top, if any part of that ball with that big old chip in it, um if 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 it lights up on that line, then you know the actual kick is no good because the ball has to be completely inside the outside edge. So, you know, drones, two sky cams, you can look on the sideline and say, okay, on the chains on the line, the markers on the sidelines, gosh, I wonder how far they gotta go. What is it? Is it third and what? And then you look at the chains and it says it's third and two point three yards. I mean, it's going to measure it out precisely how how far you have to go for a first down. And uh, so it's, it's, um, it's going to present the game differently. But like, it's just like the rule changes, you know, we're going to go back to the college rule in terms of defensive pass interference, unless the act is flagrantly deliberate, which it's not usually. It happened in the national championship college game, where in a double move beyond 15 yards, they tackled the receiver. But I think personally, it's the hardest call in the field to make. And it carries so much, so many punitive yards that that's why I've always been a favorite of the college rule. We're going to have an alternative, the onside kick. You get one play, fourth and 12 from the 13. If you make it, you keep the ball and extra points. You can go for a three point extra point. So you snap the ball at the 10. And if you score, you get three points, which makes a one point a one score game in the fourth quarter. it it makes it a nine-point game. An 18-point game becomes a two-score game. So we want to keep the games close if we can in the fourth quarter, and um, we'll all see how it works out.
3: Mike, I'm curious, because I know you guys got together uh, out in L.A. and discussed rules with the coaches and and, and other people involved with the league. Um, are, Are there rules that you maybe considered implementing this year, but you're holding off for future seasons to try out instead of throwing everything into the bucket at once? Or are there other things down the line that you want to experiment with?
0: I think the first thing is to see how this these rules work. For example, um, we wanted to put kickoff returns back in the game. Um, so so we backed up the kicking line to the 25-yard line. Um, they did this in the spring league, and 95% of kickoffs were returns. Um, every return in the Friday night rehearsal game um, was returned. So we'll probably see 95% of the kickoffs return. But we also wanted to make them safe, as safe as we could. Um, and we did talk to the NFL about this. And so we, we have it set up right now where the kicking team lines up on the 25-yard line, has to line up with, with, uh, w- within one yard of that 25. And then we move the receiving team up a little bit eight players have to be lined up between 10 and 20 yards, 10 and 15 yards um, behind their own 45. I'm sorry, the 35. The point was we tried to get the teams to run down together and set up the block like a punt play. So you'd have less violent collisions. I don't know. I don't know. Obviously, that's a big play, the kickoff that the league is concerned about. The NFL is concerned about the injuries, and we said – Let's see what injuries we get out of this. And if we're still having a high incidence of injuries, we could then give the kicking team, let them line up at the 20 and get a running start, which would put them even closer to the defensive team or receiving team as they run downfield. So we can make changes as the as the um, season wears on. For example, we want a game played in two hours and 45 minutes. I mean, they told me, that told me that that was my task to get the games played in two hours and 45 minutes. They want them done. That's not easy. But we said, okay, let's let's shorten the play clock to 35 seconds. That'll keep it moving a little bit more. And um, But then we'll see. And we said, you know, we could conceivably, if time becomes a factor, if we're not getting games done, in two hours and forty-five minutes, and we might not because the accuracy of the passing is not going to be as accurate as, as it in the NFL. So, incomplete passes kill the clock. Um, but we talked about it. could we start the clock after an incomplete pass, um, which would save some time. We'll see. We'll see what that what happens. We're we're trying to. We, we don't want this game to be about officiating. We want to call the clear and obvious fouls. I mean, with the, the last thing we want to see is uh, is a game with a lot of penalties, with 25 penalties. I mean, that drags down the time. I mean, and, and nobody likes a game that's interrupted so much with penalties. So we're trying to go clear advantage when we call a foul. We're not going to call things unless there's a clear advantage, unless it's safety related. But um, I know my bosses are interested in a quick game because (laughs) on the agenda of our operations call today, it was uh, number five on the agenda today was Mike Ferrer officiating updates and then slash it said, Alabama bill, a new bill, HR 348.7. Proposed law to make referees criminally liable for excessive penalties. So that's how, that was the message the league gave me today. My bosses gave me to uh, stay away from that penalty. And we will. I mean, we will call what needs to be called. But so many times, I have to tell you, and it's hard, officiating is so hard. But Dean Blandino and myself working in the Fox studios during the NFL season. We we'll look at each other when some penalties are called and said, "Would you have downgraded the official if he didn't call that?" And so often the answer is no. And if that's the answer, then it shouldn't be made. The call shouldn't be made on the field. So clear and obvious is what we want. I sometimes say clearer and more obvious, um, <laughs> so we don't we don't get uh, some of these crazy calls. But I'm not uh I like really don't care about illegal formations where the wide receiver is lined up on the same line as at line as the slots. Um, I'm not that overly concerned about a tackle that lines up behind the waistline drawn through the, the, the center of the, the waistline of the center. Um, the, the ones that create an advantage, we want called, The ones that really don't, no.
3: Mike Pereira has been our guest. He's the uh, head of officiating for the USFL, Fox Sports Rules Analyst. Always enhances the broadcast. He certainly did today with us. Mike, thank you so much. And uh, if we don't see you in Birmingham, we'll certainly see you on the broadcast from L.A.
0: Good luck. Sounds good. Thanks so much. Take care, Paul.
3: All right. Mike Pereira there uh, with the USFL. And uh, he'll be a frequent guest on the show. Always great uh, catching up with him. Uh, USFL, by the way, kicks off this Saturday. 7:30 7:30 Eastern is the kickoff. And it's the most affordable professional sports league and the most family friendly. Here's the proof. Tickets are just $10. These are full day passes to Protective Stadium, meaning $10 for the triple header on Sunday, April 17th, for instance. And with each $10 ticket, you can bring three kids under the age of 15 for free. The USFL, the most affordable professional sports league you're going to find, and every game is played in Birmingham. bucks, all day pass. Come and go as you please for those games. Same for week two, week three, and so on. Full schedule and uh, all the kickoff times for the first three weeks of the season. You can find everything online at theusfl.com. Get ready for
1: the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for the Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix.
3: Our thanks to Mike Pereira for joining the show. Outkick 360 rolls on and it is time for primary complaint. Guys, I'll kick it off first by just asking for a simple change in how we go about describing things. For instance, uh, a two-car garage is no longer a two-car garage. I want to get back to a point where, even if we have to change the standard of how we measure a garage, I want a two-car garage to mean I can fit two vehicles in that garage. and I simply can't. That's my primary complaint.
1: My primary complaint is also going to be very simple today. Clayton Kershaw, today, against the Minnesota Twins... Had a perfect game going through seven innings. He had had 80 pitches on the day. He had a chance to have the, only the 24th perfect game in Major League Baseball history. Major League Baseball has been going on for quite some time. And the Dodgers pulled him after seven innings and 80 pitches. And the next guy gave up a hit. And there goes Clayton Kershaw's perfect game. And that is a very easy primary complaint for me.
3: So remember when the state quarters were all the rage back in the day? Well, apparently that's moved to other industries now as well. If you'll take a look at the picture on the screen, I'll describe it. This is a loaf of bread that's completely useless for anything other than toast. Look, if you're trying to commemorate states and bread now, point me to where I can get the Wyoming Wonder Bread and not have to use my ham as origami to make it fit within the borders of Louisiana. And by the way, this this bread now costs twice what it did 18 months ago. Thanks a lot, Putin. Let's make bread square again. That's my primary complaint. That's
2: good. We are five or six games into Major League Baseball season. I refuse to believe there's an epidemic of finger injuries. Yet, virtually every base runner is wearing one of these mitts. These mitts. You're not safe if you get your mitt back to the base on a pickoff play. Because there's space between your mitt and your hand. And I want your hand to have to be on the base for you to be safe. Not your mitt. Get rid of these mitts. It's nonsense. If you're hurt, really hurt, then I need to see a note from a doc. Let's BS.
1: Let's take it to the next level and get rid of all mitts in baseball. i got to play barehanded. No. <laughs> I want men out there playing, catching the ball barehanded. Mitts are
2: for defense, not when you're running the bases. Hit
3: us
1: up with your primary complaint
3: on Twitter at Outkick360. Coming up, Congress taking a look at the Washington Commanders, and I'll compare it to something else that recently happened in the NFL Baker Mayfield in the headlines, Nick Saban on NIL, and much more. Later in hour number two, one big thing on every SEC team in the middle of or post-spring practice. It's all coming up on Outkick 360.